0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Giovanni Lago's interview with the director, writer, and producer for *Vegclone Tyro*, <laughs> Joelle Taylor.
2: Everything okay in there, baby? I'm just an average
0: with an average life. With the
2: money at? I'm an entrepreneur. I work in the spirit of the pimp game.
0: You know, your girl got to know what's going on in these streets
1: that's the car right there hi hello uh, hey, hi. I- i'm doing good uh i'm giovanni lago i'm with next best picture and i'm here with joelle taylor the writer and director of they clone tyrone and i'm very excited to talk to you um i watched the movie i really loved it and I appreciate such a unique blending of genres you put to the film, you know, it's, uh, notably, you know, science fiction and exploitation. and I, w- I was really curious, were there any specific films that inspired this project?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, there definitely were. There were uh, several. I mean, I think it kind of breaks into a few different pockets, so, like, narratively, I think really, like, the biggest inspiration probably they live in the Truman Show. Okay. Um, probably, Smashed together, but I think in terms of like the tone, the vibe, you know, I think uh, we really uh, took a lot of inspiration from uh, Jackie Brown, The Big Lebowski, Boogie Nights.
0: You know, I, I
2: think when it came to the world-building ethos, we took a lot of inspiration from uh, like Napoleon Dynamite. It follows, how especially it follows in terms of how many anachronisms kind of baked into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how it, there's a sense of like disorientation in the world and so I think
1: you
2: know it, totally different styles of movie but I think like creatively like that ethos is kind of same
1: okay that now those are some obviously great films that you could have chose to have inspired you and uh you mentioned the world building that's very important in this film, uh, you know, or the characters live in the Glen. You know, I don't think the film would have worked if you wouldn't have made it such a living, breathing character in a sense. Uh, you know, every way from the local trappers to um, the man who sits in front of the the liquor store and the gas station waiting to the hairdressers. It, it all feels authentic and real, like a legit community that we all. You know of experience and been in before and i was just wondering how important was it to you to give the glen uh, a sense of authenticity and legitimacy to it so that way people could root for it and the people's uh work together to save the glen
2: oh yeah i mean i think that was really one of the first tasks was to try to build out the glen in a way that it felt uh Grounded, but like almost with a sense of like uncanny valley. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm from Alabama. Like I really drawn on like you know where where I'm from in terms of like you know the neighborhoods and you know what you know what you might find if you were to go to Montgomery right now, if you would to go to Tuskegee right now. Uh, I think to your point, you know, trying that the the real difficulty uh, was trying to find the balance of Making it recognizable and, you know, somewhat archetypal, while at the same time, you know, making it, giving it that sense of dissonance, you know what I mean? That you know that something is off, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I think that was really a lot of our conversations, you know, in the early part was like, how do you create this world that is. You know, uh, a facsimile of the world that you grew up around, but add enough detail to it so that you know that, like, something is amiss. Uh, And so, you know, a lot of it is drawn directly from, you know, places that I grew up seeing, you know, like shopping centers that I grew up around where... The Walmart closed down and became a Hobby Lobby. And, you know, the Hobby Lobby two years later closed down and became another business. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, the, you know, where I grew up, it's, there was a Domino's, and then the Domino's closed down. I was probably, you know, six or seven. And then from there, it was a series of independent pizza stores, but each one, one only lit, lasted for a couple of years at a time. You know, someone else, you know, it was always a pizza place, but <laughs> you had the chain restaurant. And then once that disappeared, it got replaced by like homegrown businesses that like never could stick for too long. You know, mm-hmm. So you had this patina of, of age over it. Like, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the Burger King with the old, the old logo for the longest time, <laughs> like, the logos don't get updated. So you, you there is this sense of, like, lost in tiredness, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like a, trying to make it recognizable and relatable, but also, like, trying to insert the presence of, like, outside curation. Because that's like, really, like, the question that you that you are playing with is, like, you know, is this organic? Is this by design? You know what I mean? Like, did this neighborhood get to the place that it got to? without any help, you know what I mean? I was, yeah. You know, was it subtly engineered to be lost in
1: time? No, I, uh, I totally get that. I love how you mention uh, the lost in time quality to it. Cause I mean, when you watch the film visually it gives a very pulpy nature, very, uh, reminiscence of like 70s films especially like uh the film grain style and i was wondering what conversations you had with your cinematographer ken sung about the visual language and the overall aesthetic you wanted to display on screen
2: oh yeah i mean i think with ken i mean ken was i tell people all the time ken was the grown-up on set even <laughs> once for him we would have made our days for sure i think we we had a look book you know with a lot of uh Inspiration, but we really talked about like Todd hito and Gregory Crutzen uh, a lot. You know, in terms of just the framing, the lighting, the staging, that the atmosphere. You know, we watched a lot of movies. You know, from the seventies, eighties. When we were just thinking about like the visual language and just the aesthetic. You know, we talked a lot about like differentiating the night photography from the daytime photography and and, and there's a lot of atmosphere, obviously, in the movie. Um, and really, from those initial conversations and like those Todd Hito photographs and like Greg recruits, and we kind of built out like, you know, a couple of like visual rules that that Ken would then go on to like, you know, execute him. I just talked a lot of gobbledygook to him. you know. He, <laughs> he metabolized it and interpreted it and made it make sense. You know, I'm like, I want. I want everything to be foggy. You know, you're no, you, you you're, you're talking about in terms of like emotion and feeling and mood and Ken is interpreting that and actually executing it. And Danny Durr, our, uh, you know, our gaffer, was amazing. He worked on Euphoria. Uh, like a whole like, you know, uh, you know, G&E department, you know, I think they did such a good job taking these, you know, these photographs and like, translating it translating them you know we watch casino a lot for in terms of grain levels and like bloom and how the highlights bloom and you know so we watched movies too but a lot of it came from like steel photography believe it or not uh, and really leaning on Ken's expertise in a lot of ways because like I don't even want to take the credit from him in terms of <laughs> just like how it came out looking
1: another day is here and you're ready for it What to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check well it looked fantastic and i mean also uh, the audio like the score is so good and i was wondering what uh artists or musical groups inspired you because when i listened to it it felt very much like i was listening to like an unreleased funkadelic album but with like these electronic beats like slowly inserted into it and it was this really cool mixture i was just wondering was was there any sound specifically that you're like i wanted to replicate this
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, I think when we write, um, probably the first part in the writing process is like finding music. You know what I mean? I Mm -hmm. think to me, finding something that feels like tonally in the world that I want to live in. So I think the first part of the process usually is finding music that feels the way we hope the movie will feel. If that makes sense so we'll make a playlist and it'll have like earth wind and fire and evelyn champagne king and the mary jane girls and patrice russian and some of the some of the songs in our playlist ended up in the movie of course um and i think like for me tone and mood is such a big part of the equation um and i think like you know we listen to so much r b and so much funk and like boopsie collins and you know, uh, obviously, there's rap and like more modern music in it, but I like, that's usually like diegetic music mm-hmm. within the context of the movie, right? Like what, what you hear in, in the world. Um, so, like you know, people in the Glen aren't necessarily all walking around listening to you know, I want to thank you, Alicia Myers, and <laughs> and, like funny enough, Fontaine actually doesn't listen to a lot of modern music. You know, if you listen to all the things that you got Blackbirds on the radio, he's listening to I'll Be Sure. He listens to things like Mellow Him Out, if you notice in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like in that like development process, I mean, really like you're trying to get this sense of like funky mysteriousness, you know, when you sit down to write it. And a lot of that came from, you know, that that 70s, 80s R&B playlist that we had. So, yeah, I think. I can go down a rabbit hole of artists (laughs) that's on the Spotify playlist we made but you know in general you're gonna see a lot of Gucci Collins and and the like you know Um, yeah
1: no those are all great artists Um, I also want to mention you know I think one of the biggest compliments a director could get is from how great performances you're able to bring out of your actors. And I think not only you do that once, you do that with three core great performances from John Boyega and Jamie Foxx and Tiana Paris. And I mean, their energy is just out of this world. and. The synergy that between them is so good. And one aspect that, you know, not related to their performance, but I want to know how it helped really get them into character was the costuming and the hairstyling in the film. And I was curious how essential that was for you to really get them to transform into those characters. Because, I mean, Jamie Foxx, you know, Slick Charles, he's an outdated pimp. He's got the pro. He's got the questionably throwback fits but they still look good and the way you know he's talking is very much like he's a man out of time and that usually plays into his arc and I was just wondering how essential was the, the hairstyling and makeup and costuming were into and the getting the performance
2: oh yeah I mean it was I think we when we pitched it I think one of the first things you know like one of the main overarching like goals was for like the movie to pass the silhouette test, right so we wanted to, we wanted to have characters that brought you back to like a time in film where like the costumes were, you know, uh, you know, part of your visualization. You think Marty McFly, you know, who's wearing? You think Indiana Jones, you know, what he was wearing? You know, and it's like a lot of movies that you know, I loved growing up. You could cosplay as the heroes. Right? Yeah. You can. You you remember what they were wearing? And uh, you know, I think like when we when you're thinking about you know you saw a silhouette of Darth Vader, you would know, you know, that was Darth Vader right away, right? So when you're thinking about the hairstyles, you're thinking of, like, very specifically, like, I mean, if you look at the posters that we did, they're they're like a direct byproduct of our pitch, right? Like, could you, like, we have the character posters, the first ones that we came out with is is just literally silhouettes of the characters. And that went into our thought process when we were, um, you know, when we were developing the costumes, developing the hairstyles, like hairstyles that look distinct, you know, even, you know, down to like characters like, uh, you know, we call them crutches. Uh, I don't know. In this, in the, he might be called Young Dealer or Crutches in the, in the uh, in credits. But the, the, the kitty who who he hits with the car, who ultimately comes back, this, I guess in spoiler territory here for sure, but who comes back and, and shoots the first iteration of Fontaine. You know, when he gets out of the car, you see those prongs of hair coming up, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And one of the things about Sharif, you know, the actor that I loved was, like, he had such a distinct hairstyle, you know. And so, like, even when you come down to the casting, you're, you're trying to find characters who have distinct things about them that you can remember, that you can identify. And hopefully that, you know, a year from now, when you think about the movie, you can close your eyes and kind of still see, you know, what they were wearing, what they yeah. had on, you know, what their hair was like. And, you know, maybe one day somebody wear <laughs> slick Charles
1: for Halloween. <laughs> no, that, that would be pretty awesome. Um, I think we are starting to get close to wrapping up. So real quick, I'd like to ask you, you know, there is a strike and everything going on. Um, hopefully, you know, everything gets resolved uh, swiftly and it's amicable for everyone. Um, was just wondering you know beforehand was there anything you're looking forward to eventually working on when things are resolved is are you just uh after this you're just wanting to chill a bit and let the love grow because this film's re- is really good we i i agree with everyone that we probably want to see more what do you got story uh
2: i mean i think right now uh tony and i are, are you know really just Hanging back, waiting for uh, waiting for the strikes to you know resolve themselves. You know, I think in the future we want to make more you yeah. know original features if we can. You know, um, you know Tony's the director, so you know we you know we would love to you know to make Tony, Tony's first feature, and then you know if at all possible, we'd we'll be able to continue to make you know hopefully like new IP. Yeah. You know, I think that's the ultimate goal. You know, obviously there's still IP that's super cool that you would be like honored to work with. But I mean I think if you could chart any course I think it would be one where, you know, you you hopefully continue to world build and make worlds that, you know, hopefully like, you know my ultimate goal is to make stuff feel like people have theme weddings too, you know, like the Star Wars universe and you know what I mean, like yeah. the, the Lord of the Rings universe and, you know, twenty years from now, like there's so much iconography associated with the IP that, you know, people have like parties and weddings and, you know, things like that. And there's enough there that they can, you know, start to like personalize and, you know, fill in, fill in their own blank, so to speak. And, you know, fan fiction it up. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the ultimate goal.
1: Okay. Well, I think we all would love to see that from you uh thank you so much for your time they Tyrone is one of the best movies i've seen so far this year personally um right, thank you i appreciate that uh, have a good day thank you uh, thank you so much no problem
0: hey everyone thank you so much for listening to giovanni lago's interview with the director writer and producer for they tyrone joelle taylor here on the next best picture podcast they tyrone is now available to stream on netflix